Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. My name is Matt Harrigan. I'm at Stupid Buddy Studios. Robot Chicken Week continues. We're talking to the cast and crew of the show. Today I'm talking to Milana Weintrub, who's a writer for the show. She's an actor. She's a comedian. And she's sitting down in the booth right now. Thanks for coming on this. Yeah, I don't what, know. They, did they force you to come down here? I mean, I'm already here. What do you mean? I wouldn't have come in just for this. You wouldn't have? No, I probably would have. Why? You would have? Do you come on a lot of podcasts? Yeah, I, I, I do, regretfully. What's your background? What's your story? I'm a comic. I'm an actor. I'm a writer. I'm a director. I'll, I'll do anything for money. Walk us through your arrival at Robot Chicken. My arrival at Robot Chicken? Yeah. Um, well, I met some of the writers... Uh, because they brought me in to do a voice, mm-hmm. and that was really fun. Because I'm not really a, a imitator or impression person, um, but they had me do—I forget which famous pig. I was doing some famous cartoon pig. Wow, how many are there? There's Peppa Pig. Uh, yeah, that's who I was doing. But oh. there's also Porky. Yeah, and uh, Petunia. There's the one from uh, Winnie the Pooh. What's his name? Piglet. Piglet, obviously, of course. and so babe. Uh, <laughs> there's Babe. So I uh, came in to do Peppa, and then I went on to. Oh, I was doing a, a, a something at Comic Con. I do a I do a voice for Squirrel Girl for Marvel Rising, mm. which is this amazing cartoon that I love. And they took us to Comic Con to do some press stuff, and uh, I ran into a bunch of the Robot Chicken guys at uh, a party and we started talking about our panels and what we were doing there and then a few weeks after that uh, they brought me in for a a meeting and then um, asked me to come right on the show and I had no idea what I was getting into but I was really excited to write comedy in a writer's room setup and that's not what this is it's not no people expect writer's rooms to be like a highly collaborative bits and people are yelling things out and finishing each other's sentences and this is actually more of a you show up at 9 a.m you write mostly in silent solitude until about 4 p.m and then you read for maybe uh 30 minutes to 45 minutes i also fun fact am dyslexic and it's a real problem here only because usually when I'm reading things, it's on my own time, and I'm not, like, racing anybody. Uh, but here you have to read everyone's sketches within that very short time frame at 4 p.m. So uh, I've realized that I everyone is done, and I still have about 25% left to How go. How long is the time frame? To read it? Yeah. I mean, it's just, like, when everyone is done. And so... Seth will come into the room and Matt, you know, people will will come in and be ready to talk about sketches and I'll need like another five, ten minutes. That's stressful, I'd imagine. Uh, Yeah, it makes me feel like an idiot. Because you have to read everything and and digest it and determine whether or not you think it's satisfactory. Yes. And also, 
I um, hopefully like have something to contribute to it, which just it just takes me a minute longer because literally my brain scrambles letters. So um, but it's fine as long as my sketches get in at the end of the day. Like if I feel like I've contributed something, then I'm okay with. Do you bank stuff in the off hours and come in with it or do you start fresh every day? I don't do that. Sometimes when I'm doing like right now, we're writing special. And so. Uh, as I'm doing research, I'll be like, oh, that's a kind of a fucked up storyline. I wonder if I can execute that in some ridiculous way. Are you a fan? Not really. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm not a huge uh, nerd. I would like to be more of a nerd. But I think, honestly, not being a great reader and then, um, like, you know, maybe, like, I had, Im- I have immigrant parents growing up. Like, just pop culture wasn't something that was around. Like, we didn't listen to American music, and we didn't—it it just wasn't prioritized in my house as much as, like, going to gymnastics practice and things like that. So my after-school time was spent very differently than a lot of other kids who would maybe spend it watching TV or reading comics or, you know— going to the Cinerama or whatever kids Do you think do. that gives you a particular perspective on the way you would approach a, a topic? That you're not a nerd? Probably. In this room of many nerds? Yeah. I mean, actually, Doug and I were just talking about this because we were talking about uh, Avengers Endgame and Infinity War because I loved both of those movies, but... Um, he grew up with those characters. He grew up reading about them and watching things that star them, and it means a lot to him, and he was very uh, moved by those films. I did not grow up with that background, and I was still very moved by those films, which I think is a testament to those filmmakers. But, yeah, I think, you know, I can appreciate things in their current standing without knowing backstory, but I don't know. I don't know what it offers specifically here. I don't know why they keep why they bring me back. Why do they bring you back? You don't know. Um, yeah, I guess I've written an, enough things that get in. That's all. Enough sketches that get in. They've been walking me through how it works with the um, pitch process. A certain number of sketches a day, and then everyone votes on it. Yeah. Is it is it is it stressful when it comes time to vote? No, I don't. I'm not stressed when it comes time to vote. I'm more stressed when it comes time to come up with ideas. Like sitting by yourself in a room full of people is an incredibly awkward thing. <laughs> like to sit at a table but not talk to people freaks me out. Alone and together. Alone and together, but mostly like alone and just close to each other like there is i wouldn't even say there's necessarily a togetherness except for when we're voting and pitching and then also the the second half of the writing process or maybe it's a little bit less than a half is scripting and then that is very collaborative and that's actually when people can like yell out and pitch things and then root is the person who then hears things he likes and scrapes it together into a sketch do you remember the the first pitch that you had that was successful um they got through i um yeah i i actually i'm not even sure it made it i don't think it made it into the episode i think it died in animatics but it was um it was a channel flip do you know what a channel flip is Mm -hmm. um do the the listeners should I, I say what it is? Sure. 
a channel flip is just a short sketch that requires no scene change or camera movement or camera change. So um, so it can be 15 seconds or it can be a minute long. It just requires no cutting. And so um, I just wrote something where a Little Mermaid is checking out at the supermarket and then they're like, great, it's $76. And she just jumps out a chest full of f- forks and um, and it did great in the room and then died in animatic. That didn't feel good when it died. I mean, it's fine. Honestly, I'm mm-hmm. so happy to have a job. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Like, it's uh, – there are worse things. I'm honestly just like – this sounds so cheesy, but like just honored to be considered. Like, honored that it made it – in the first round, which is already so hard with so many brilliant people pitching ideas that who cares? It Having spoken with uh, uh, Doug and Mike for a while, it seems like it's a pretty cordial, fun environment. Does it feel that way to you? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, Doug is an asshole. So anyone, <laughs> anyone that like, for, I'm I'm not surprised that he's like, it's pretty nice. Because like, even when it's like, everyone is arguing, he's like, mm, I feel right at home. <laughs> he's comfortable. <laughs> yeah, he's comfortable in conflict. But he's been here for. This is his home. He's yeah. got to do whatever yeah. he wants. And it's not and yours maybe yet. No. And it, I know it's not. It's well, I mean, I feel very cozy here and. Whatever. I, I grew up with a bunch of loud Jews, so I, so he feels like family to me. You have a funny family? I do, yeah. My dad is funny in the way that like he has a large log of jokes. Like he knows jokes on every you can like you know, like give him a, a suggestion and you'll be like flying hawk and he's like, Okay. Hawk is flying through the air, hawk has fleas, right? Like he'll just come up with a joke on that. Um that he read somewhere and is backlogged, whereas my mom is just, like, sarcastic and, um, like, nosy and has lots of opinions, and that makes her funny. (laughs) I know I didn't paint her as the funniest, but she really is. She's just hilarious and super caring and overbearing in, like, a Jewish mom way. What perks do you have as a comedy writer here? As a comedy writer, yeah. Uh, Infinite string cheese. Is that is that what your day consists of? Yeah, I have about four to six string cheeses a day. No, just kidding. Um, the perks are you come in and there's Starbucks here for you. Yeah, that happened to me today. They brought me a coffee, which was great. Maggie brought so me a coffee. Nice. Maggie is an angel. Yeah. So she's like not only the nicest person here, but she's also so on top of it and funny. And she's been writing in the room and killing it. Um yeah, so Maggie is a perk. Um, I honestly think that the best thing that I've taken away from Robot Chicken is the discipline of sitting down at 9 a.m. and then turning something in at 4 p.m. Whether you think you have writer's block or not, you're turning things in. And sometimes the things that I think are real shit end up making it in, and sometimes the things that I'm really proud of die. Can you think of some examples of that? Um. Yeah, like yesterday I wrote a um, Mari TV show, you know, the the daytime drama talk sure. show. Mm-hmm. I wrote that with the characters of in it, like having drama and uh, and it died. Like no one even raised, no one voted for it. I didn't even vote for it. And, um, and then 
I've written really dumb things like um, I wrote a sketch last year um, about the magical school bus um, being the bus from Fortnite that the players jump out of and um, and that killed like people love that and I'm just like oh I just picked two properties that contain a bus and I put them together but I'm glad you like it so uh, so sometimes things feel like obvious and they end up being very special and sometimes I think things are um, really quick-witted and are just like die flat. Who's uh, who's funny to you these days? Who do you like? Who do you admire? Uh, Danny McBride is so fucking funny. I just started watching his new HBO show and it's blowing my mind. Um, I think Sarah Silverman is a genius. I think Chelsea Handler is a genius. I think um, like driving cars with comedians, the Jerry Seinfeld show makes me so fucking happy. It's like just dumb short form content. It's not dumb. It's just like two funny people. The best episodes of the world, it's just like two funny people hanging out in a very easy way. Is it the efficiency of it? Yeah, I like that. I mean, maybe it's it's a similar appeal to watching a great improv show is like you just watch someone do magic with their brain. Like somebody just pulled a rabbit out of a hat. They saw an opportunity and their brain sparked to create something that made people laugh. And I want to see that all the time. And that's way funnier for me than um, or, or just like maybe not funnier, but sometimes just more enjoyable than watching things that are fully scripted, which is also why it's so fun to be in a writer's room. <laughs> is like you get to see that all the time as your job and you get to feel that like you get to see your brain spark in that way that creates a new idea that makes people laugh do you watch the shows back that you've contributed to um i've only worked on the show for a year so mm-hmm. none of my sketches have made air yet but i've seen some of them at comic-con and it feels really good what was that like it was beautiful so you're on a big panel yeah yeah, big panel, and uh, and we did a couple, like, uh, side stage events outside at the Adult Swim stage, yeah. and that was... I mean, it's it's so fun to meet people who are, um, like, moved <laughs> to even, like, stand in line or to wait to, to see work that you and your friends have made that, like, can feel very uh, either silly or very difficult and... It means something to people. So you're sitting on the stage and they show a reel of upcoming yeah. clips from the new season. Yeah. And then I'll just be like, oh, I wrote that dumb marshmallow sketch. What was know? the sketch? Um, there's a sketch where uh, DJ Marshmallow, who's like a, like the number one DJ in the world. Um, also, I will say that I learned that because I work on this show. Like there's so much pop culture that I'm researching because of this that I otherwise would have. Like I don't know about Fortnite. I just learned that the kids arrive on a bus. And so we ran with that. But like this DJ Marshmallow sketch was really just him getting um, hit by a graham cracker truck and then him getting hit by a chocolate bar truck. And then it lights on fire. And then the people are like, oh, no, s'mores. And that's it. And, um, yeah, just seeing that, like, stupid idea that yeah. I had in my head come to life. It's also the the crazy thing about working on Robot Chicken specifically is that there are so many artists involved, like, beautiful craftsmen involved in this very ridiculous show. And 
and their work starts with a seedling of an idea that happens in that writer's room, that feels like um like a really cool part of the the work chain. I was talking to uh, Tom Shepard about the direction of some of these yeah. ideas that come in, and have have you su- have you submitted something that is overwhelmingly hard to make that you've had to change? Um, probably. Or, or have you have you sort of adjusted <laughs> your your mindset, knowing now that the the restrictions are um, are in place? One of the things that they told us at the beginning is like, don't write anything that you can see on an SNL stage. Like, if you could see just, like, a couple actors doing this in front of a flat, then it doesn't really belong here. And I think that frees up your imagination a lot. Some people have spoken about the words that Matt puts on the wall. Um, Topics Mm -hmm. of things that he knows about that maybe the writers don't always know about. Yeah. Like... An LOL. He he taught me what an LOL doll is. He just wrote LOL doll on the wall, uh-huh, and, and I had that? to go find that. What is that? <laughs> it's a it's a ridiculous toy that's wrapped in layers of plastic. And the thing that's fun about it is that you get to unwrap it. It's mind numbing. But I also have an eight year old niece who loves it. It's the only thing that she wants. And so for people who know and love toys, not that my eight year old niece is allowed to watch the show, but that. Th- the people who know and love shows get that and uh, I'm sorry, know and love toys get that. And so there's um, there's something uh, cool about learning. I wrote the again, like the dumbest sketch for that. And what that was that made sketch? It. it was a sketch about like different the, the LOL dolls have different personalities and characteristics. And so they, you know, they have a funny cutesy names and little fun facts about themselves and i r- made an lol doll that uh can shit herself and <laughs> and uh just goes out of control and shits all over the room and all over her friends and um you know you couldn't do that on an snl stage no, you couldn't i can't does your family what does your family think about what do your parents think about you uh What's my your- parents my dad doesn't speak english uh, he lives in Moscow, so he doesn't know or watch. He just is excited that I have a job. Mm-hmm. And does he know that you're a com- a, a comedy a comedy, comedy person? Yeah, yeah. Is and he that proud of that? Very proud. He's very proud of That's that. That's exciting to have your dad be proud of you. Totally. And Both your mom? my parents are super proud. Yeah, they're incredible. Um, and also because my dad loves jokes so much and loves comedy, it means a lot to him. Even though he doesn't get my jokes <laughs> he doesn't get them no the jokes in our relationship are more one-sided he delivers them and then i have to say like well, that was amazing you or tolerate them. i don't get it or sometimes i try to translate them to my friends and then i have to repeat them in a russian accent just so it makes sense is there a russian sensibility that you bring to this um <laughs> no no i don't even know what that is i mean i think i make fun of russian culture more than I have a sensibility for it. Have you in, in, imported any Russian things into any sketches? No. No. <laughs> Not that I know of. Subconsciously? I mean, I'm sure, yeah, right? Like, I think I've been affected by Russian culture, but still, honestly, when I'm around uh, the the Russian community, I think I I notice its its oddities more than I feel like I'm a part of it. Did you ever live there? No. I grew—I was born in Uzbekistan, but I moved here when I was two. 
Is there Russian comedy that we should know about? Not that I know of. Huh. I don't watch Russian comedy. Yeah. That hasn't made it over. I mean, honestly, you guys should all know my dad. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone should meet my dad. He's super funny. I used to do stand up as him. I used to actually like retell his jokes in a Russian accent. Can you give us a sample in in this awkward booth environment? Yeah. Do you want one of my dad's jokes? Yeah. Let's hear it. Delivered like your dad. Oh, God. Mr. Vintrub. Look it. Here he is. So. Okay, <laughs> this is what it sound like. Um, okay, so uh, Pope is dying. Oh no, the Pope is dying. And so um, Pope helpers say, okay, Pope dying, we have to get Pope woman. And other Pope helpers say, what? Pope and woman, this is not good. This is, don't go together. This like eagle and water. This like cat and fire. Pope and woman, they do not go. This is not good. And so number two Pope helpers say, okay, okay. If we get Pope woman, she have to be blind. And everyone say, what? Why do we have to get Pope blind woman? Because she come here to fuck Pope and she say I fuck Pope no this is bad for business we have to get Pope blind woman and everyone say okay if we get Pope woman she blind Pope helper number two say or maybe number three I forget what Pope helper I am on right now he say okay if we get Pope woman she have to be blind but she also have to be deaf and everyone say, why do we have to get Pope blind deaf woman? Because if she come here, she fuck Pope. She say, I fuck Pope. This bad for business. She cannot hear or see nothing. And everyone say, okay, we get Pope blind deaf woman. And then Pope helper number four say, okay, if we get Pope woman, she have to be blind. She have to be deaf. She also have to be um how you say uh, nose deaf, no uh, nose nose blind, and everyone say why? Because if we get Pope woman, she come here, she fuck Pope, she she smell something, she smell candle or Pope fart. This is this no, this is bad for business. And everyone say okay, if we get Pope woman, she has to be blind and deaf and no stupid. Okay, and then uh, Pope helper number five say okay. <laughs> If we get Pope woman, she have to be blind. She have to be deaf. She have to have bad nose. She also have to have big boobies. And everyone say, why? Meh. The Pope like it. <laughs> is that an actual joke your dad has told? <laughs> yeah. You know, it is particularly cruel that you are the podcast interviewer yeah and you laugh silently well i mean <laughs> like you've laughed a couple times during this interview yeah but the audience would never know it so everything yeah. is falling so we'll, flat we'll add a laugh track to this oh, in post please can you yeah we can just a tiny one. <sighs> it's impossible to do stand-up in a padded room here i don't know this isn't stand-up this is hardly stand-up that but that is stand-up. a real joke that my dad told me that's funny you i think it's like funny it. yeah he doesn't use any articles he what? He doesn't use any articles. <laughs> the Pope. He's got really long jokes. And then at the end of it, if I don't laugh, it's my fault. 
<laughs> he's like, mm, you don't get it. Mm, you don't get it. What was your breakthrough? What was your moment where you felt locked into this career? It was when I up- applied to be an assistant to a casting director and I didn't get it and I wasn't disappointed by it. <laughs> I was like, oh, thank God I don't have to like buy this woman's lipstick or whatever. Sort of a reverse needs. break. And also it was just like I, I needed to bet on myself. I needed to try it just to not live with regret. I'm very afraid of regret. And then what was your success that um, encouraged you? Well, I, I started doing improv and that really helped me – believe that I had some kind of comedic sensibility and I had really wonderful teachers who encouraged me. And um, then, yeah, the biggest the biggest thing was that I started to hang out with people who just this was at the very beginning stages of YouTube sketch comedy who were getting acting opportunities because of YouTube videos they made. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe that'll work for me. So I started writing and acting and directing and editing YouTube videos and that taught me how to direct and it taught me how to edit and um, and they did pretty well online. They did wonderfully well online and then I used that used those uh, YouTube videos to sell a pilot. Turn the listeners on to a video that you think would be representative of this. Um, well, It was this little web series I did on YouTube called Let's Talk About Something More Interesting. And my channel was called Live Prude Girls, kind of like live nude girls, but we don't put out. And, uh, yeah, we did an interview with um, Bernie Burns that is my favorite. Bernie Burns from Red vs. Blue. Do you know him? Yeah, I know know Red vs. Blue, sure. Yeah, so uh, he, he was a big supporter of us online early on. I mean, he was like he was on the Internet making content. Like as one of the first people. So him having our back and then us getting to interview him and kind of demolish him in an interview was so fun. And that's what we did. We really embarrassed people we interviewed online. You embarrassed them? Yeah. Like how? Oh, we would just like find whatever was slightly, even just a little bit uncommon about them. Can we do that here? Do you want me to demolish you? Yeah. I don't really want to. I've grown so much since then. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm not getting paid for that. Okay. <laughs> but it was very fun and uh and we like got Matt Damon to come on the show and Bob Odenkirk. Wow. Who is uh one of my comedy icons. Of course. And um and got to make fun of Bob Odenkirk for being old and uh Matt Damon came on to like promote his uh water.org project and we got to like be confused about how like why water is important because we're so dumb and funny and (laughs) then uh yeah and then got to make that into a pilot for mtv what was it like working for mtv it was hard that particular project was hard because it was an improvised show so we were working with the executives from the non-scripted department yeah i yeah. I mean, our talk show was like kind of um, awkward and painful. And uh, I think they just wanted something uh, punchier and faster, which was not our style at that time. Not not what that show was. So it it was it was changed in a substantial way. Also, like they just it wasn't probably the right place for that show, which is fine. Honestly, I'm just I was really excited to have any money. <laughs> like I had only ever made YouTube videos up to that point. So when they in a way, like giving me a paycheck to pay my rent was I was very grateful for. But also just having anybody vouch for me and say, like, this thing that you made, we like, we would like more of. Having Odenkirk and, and Matt Damon come on legitimized it? 
on on the YouTube uh, channel. Like having yeah. them having them come on your show legitimized it and and opened MTV's eyes. If these guys like it, we should like it. I don't know how. I don't know what opened their eyes. I don't know which episodes like stuck out to them. We Why also had the... a, a few sketches on there that they liked and um, tried to co-op, and we wrote other sketches for them for that show. But yeah, it was. Um, some of it was the talk show element, and some of it was just us being ridiculous. But yeah, I think also because we were so mean to people um, that they were really afraid of that. MTV thought you guys were mean. <laughs> yeah, they were worried about us being mean. Oh, I mean, ultimately, were you mean? the thing. Yeah, we were so mean. That was the point of the show of yeah. the characters. Yes, yeah, we were. We were real. Like two, it was me and another actress, and we were both just dicks. In a in a really uh, like superficial and uh, blind way, like we did not know that we were dicks. We just thought we were being honest. Can people see it now? Uh, the pilot? Yeah. No. No, I don't even. I don't have a copy of it. I don't know where it is. You dusted yourself off, and then what? Um, and then I started making AT and T commercials like the next day. Do people recognize you? Um, sometimes less so now. It's been like two years since mm-hmm. I've made any, and. I uh, I cut my hair off, and people are so confused by that. <laughs> then what? Um, I acted for a little bit on a show called This Is Us, and I um, I was on At Midnight on this Comedy Central show called At Midnight mm-hmm. a ton, and um, that was a really great catalyst for a lot of my stand-up. And... Um, yeah, kind of around the same time that the MTV thing didn't go, I started doing stand-up just because I didn't know what um, – I just wanted every opportunity to get work. And that felt like a nice hard way to get into the industry. What was the stand-up – what was your uh, schedule for stand-up? Like would you do it every night? Would you do two no. or three drive all over all over town doing no. people's no. shows? No, I really respect people who do that, but I did not do that. I think I would go up maybe two or three times a week. So even now, I only go up about two or three times a week. And as soon as I make an audience laugh, as soon as I make anyone laugh, honestly, that's like my medication I, I've noticed in life that when I feel anxious or stressed out or depressed, if I can just like make like the receptionist in the lobby laugh, I feel better. I feel so relieved. So I know that that's definitely a part of my life calling if it has such a strong subconscious effect on me. There's people out there who, you know, potentially listening um who would aspire to do what you're doing yeah no one's listening but okay keep going what would you what would you say would you advise them to do it would you say steer clear does it matter yeah i would advise people to do whatever they want to do yeah um there is no reason that i should have succeeded in this or or if that's even what you call what i'm doing but there's Mm -hmm. no reason i should have this job more so than anyone else so so what is it that that you did that people might um do also i mean i worked my ass off and made youtube videos for free for about two and a half years so i just when i wasn't getting opportunities to to work on other people's shows or when i was getting opportunities to work on other people's projects but they weren't representative of my skills i made my own content that I that I was proud of that I thought showcased me in an interesting way that I thought uh, didn't exist in the world yet and that started my whole career 
That seems to be another consistent theme is that uh, people say just make stuff. Yeah, just make. I mean, it's the only thing you have any control over, really. So what do you do for fun? I have a dog that's really soft and funny. Uh, I spend a lot of time with him, probably like too much time and too much money on my dog. Yeah, what's his name? His name's Hank. He's um, part healer and part pit bull and part something. I don't really know what he is, but he's a bunny. He's actually like a a 35-pound bunny. So that's a big part of my... I, I just moved to New York like two months ago, so I'm actually just getting settled there. Where do you live? In Williamsburg. How do you like it? I think it's fine. I... Uh, it's fine. Getting used to it. It's, yeah, I mean, it's it's harder than L.A. I grew up in L.A., and it's really comfortable here. I know where everything is. All of my friends are here. My mom is here, and I have a car. And there, everything just takes a little bit more energy. But I find for stand-up, it's way better. Why? Uh, the audiences are really eager and warm and welcoming. There are a lot more stages. And... Um, I don't know. Maybe it's also subconscious for me, but I feel like I'm a part of like an older stand-up movement, and that feels good in my heart. What do you mean, like an just, older stand-up movement? Just that's where so many great comics got their start is in New York City. Are there stand-ups, great stand-ups from the day that you admire? You like, said Chelsea Handler. Yeah, or like I said, Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah. There's a. There's a ton that I feel like I've heard stories about them, like, rushing from place to place. Chappelle, you know, like, people who, like, he made his block party, like, a 20-minute bike ride from where I live, you know? Yeah. And that's, uh, that feels like a, a momentous thing. What did you think of his new special? Ooh, controversial. Mm -hmm. I liked it. Whoa. Yeah. Hot take. <laughs> I did like it. I think uh, I don't agree with so much of what he said, uh -huh. but he is a he's a, got a really interesting, brave mind. And I don't actually think he believes everything he says, but he can make jokes about it. So you'll do stand up in New York mm -hmm. regularly. Mm -hmm. Do you want to promote it? No. Why not? Because who cares? Because this is going to come out, and then who knows what, where I'll be. Huh. <laughs> right? Like, okay. how do you promote it? I don't know. I don't have, like, a... I'm not, like, at Eastville Comedy every Thursday. Do you want Thursday. people to follow you on Instagram? Yeah, if you want to. I don't post that often, but I'm going to try to be better about it. Okay. Do you want to... At Mint Milana. Like, Mint Milano's, oh, but yeah. Mint Milana with an A. Yeah. Yeah. Any other questions? I feel like that's, like, how you asked me to leave. Milana Weintraub. Yes, sir. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Visit adultsum.com slash podcast for links to some of the things Milana and I were just talking about. As always, we'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email, adultsumpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks to Dave Bonowitz and Christina Loringer for editing and producing these podcasts. Thanks also to Maggie Cannon for arranging everything. Thank you for listening.